You're listening to Yellow Peril Tactical, the Tiger Block Podcast. Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war, to die, or to be maimed for life without the faintest idea of what's going on. Welcome, everybody. Uh, We're doing another roundtable-esque episode today. Uh, In the room, we have uh, quite a few of our contributors, which is exciting. Um, This is Snow. I use she, they pronouns. Uh, I'm going to just call on people, and they can say hi and introduce themselves. Hi, C. Hi, C. I'm back. Um, They, them pronouns. Cough. Uh, Coughing. He, they. Soju. Hey, what's up? Uh, he, him. John Chinaman. Hey, what's going on? It's John Chinaman. He, him. And Johnny. Hey, it's TV Johnny. Happy to be here for my first podcast. And I use he, him. All right. So that's who we got today. We have a whole list of questions. Um, we had too many to fit into one episode. But um, we did select a few that we think are particularly good. Uh, If you want us to continue doing these kinds of episodes, let us know. Because we don't know unless you tell us. Um, So, without further ado, uh, let's just go ahead and get started. Um, Maybe we can start with, I think, one of the most compelling and controversial questions. Which is, uh, what about pho? Uh, first of all, it's pho. It's not pho. It's not pho. What the fuck? You know what I'm saying? Uh, I hope you liked that. Um, <laughs> I, my, my family lineage is um, all originally from the north. But my dad's side moved down to the south during Catholic persecution, uh, or whatever. Um, low key, they deserved it. But rethinking um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the consequences of their own actions. I mean, you know what? Here's the thing, though. I will say, I there is a nuance there. If my family's starving and some white motherfucker says like, "You want some fucking baguettes and pate?" All you have to do is go to church once a week. I would fucking do it. I would. <laughs> um, would I compel my children Get the to spread, like? Literally, uh, you know what? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you don't have. I remember. I remember the shame I experienced in high school when I was hanging out with some Vietnamese friends, and I asked them if they wanted to go eat some pho, and they clowned oh, me like no. real hardcore. Wow. Yeah. The, see, the right thing is, like, I had. It wasn't my first time having it. It's not like they introduced me to the soup. I had it many times but i totally didn't know what the fuck i was doing like 
my pho etiquette was so messed up. Like I put soy sauce and all kinds of shit Why would in you there. Do that? Just like calm me relentlessly. Well, before then, I had only gone out to restaurants with like my dad, who's a super Chinese dude. So you know, like I didn't know that there was like a proper condiment for it. Soy sauce is almost criminal, though. That shit that, is a war you know, crime. Right that there. is, you get the wall for that. <laughs> you know what? They shouldn't. They shouldn't put it on the table if it's, it's off. For other dishes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing that we, one thing that a lot of, I think a lot of people who follow us probably don't know is that for a while, uh, tendon, tendon mm. in the soup was a big thing. Shit hits. Um, because I was the one who hadn't eaten it, and then actually TV Johnny made me eat it once, and I didn't like it. So. My, my fuzz banging. Let's let's get that straight right away. <laughs> but I feel like you gotta have the tendon. It's like marshmallows and Lucky Charms, man. Yeah. Like you're digging in, and you just get surprised it every once in a while with too. this mouthful really of deliciousness. Yeah, it's just soaked in that broth um the real discourse though is northern style or yep. southern style yep it's different it it really is different i had northern style pho like five years ago in san francisco and i was like this is so weird to me <laughs> um because i grew up with southern style mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to explain the difference for people who don't know such as myself well northern it pho is from northern vietnam like very originally and so it's very simplistic in that um, there's it's not served with basil. Um, it's a lot less sweet, um, especially compared to like um, like Lao, Thai, or Cambodian pho that tends to be a lot sweeter. Um, southern pho, Hi C, do you want to talk about southern pho? Yeah, um, it does tend to be a little sweeter. And then, like Snow mentioned, right, we add a lot of those like herbs. Um, and then also the noodles are uh, like thinner. Yeah. Um, so even just like eating the noodles themselves is very different. Um, they're, they're thinner, but they're longer. I, I think if I remember Northern style pho, it was like almost like short, flat noodles, mm-hmm. um, which was a big change for me just in terms of the actual act of like eating it with chopsticks and a spoon. <laughs> I was like, this feels so off. Um, but again, I only had it the one time, and that was many years ago, so I don't remember all of the other differences. Um, I'm sure Snow knows more. Uh, also, I have a question. Yeah. Um, so I grew up eating pho for the first time in college, and I didn't really know any better. They had all kinds of weird... Uh, I get, I'm assuming I, I got like Americanized versions of pho. Is it weird to have chicken pho? Is that just like no, considered no. A, it, okay? Yeah. All right. It's so I'm a, not I'm not a war criminal for having chicken pho. All right. No. Sure. Right. It's a good alternative. Uh, and at home when I make pho, if I'm feeling lazy, I'll make chicken pho instead. Okay. Because it only cool. takes like 45 minutes at most. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was my go-to um, drunk food because where I you know was at it was a 24-hour pho place. Hell yeah. So I would literally. Go there at five o'clock in the morning, like wasted with my buddies, I mean, and decide to have some pho. Because you know why I have a Waffle House, and you can eat, just eat pho. Yeah. And bon me is, and we go there, and there are entire Vietnamese families having karaoke. Yeah. At the place, I was like, <laughs> I guess they're still in Vietnam time because they don't give a fuck. No. You know, they're just like, I guess That's they don't have amazing. work or something. I don't know. 
I feel like when I go for pho, I try not to stray too far from the traditional, I guess. Like if it doesn't have the sliced beef and the meatballs, tendon and all that, I don't get too adventurous. Like I made that mistake one time being on a health kick and thinking I'm going to eat some chicken pho. And then came to find out that like they put balls of boiled uh, pig blood, like meatballs made with pig's blood and threw me off entirely. Could not enjoy it. I haven't, that, I haven't huh. heard of that. That's unusual. Yeah, are you that sure it was unusual. chicken there, there are some. There are some looks here in the chat uh, <laughs> about, <laughs> about this. <laughs> I, I've literally some never skeptics. heard of that being in pho, and especially not in like pho gat, which is the chicken uh, pho. Um, sorry, I don't know if y'all heard my cat there. <laughs> I did. Oh, <laughs> so cute. Okay, so I've actually been in that position. Um, at a Vietnamese place, deciding to be uh, adventurous, and it is a whey style soup that does have the pork blood, and you're like, "Oh, wasn't expecting this." Um, I believe the broth is also really fishy, and yeah, it, it throws you off your game. You were expecting something similar to pho, and it 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 completely sidelines you. Okay, if you're if you're going to a pho restaurant for the first time, are there any faux pas that you should avoid? Say it. Aside say from it, soy it. sauce. Soy sauce apparently is rule number one. Uh, don't fucking put hoisin sauce in the broth. Someone worked very hard to make that broth. It takes oh, shit. hours. The hoisin sauce is meant for dipping the toppings into dipping it and shoving that oh, shit into your mouth. Fuck. You know what's crazy, though, is I grew up with my parents putting the hoisin sauce and sriracha directly in the... Oh, I thought that's what you're um, supposed to do. Crazy, <laughs> But no, when I went to um, Southern California and was like eating with some friends, they were like, no, 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 you got to have it on the side as a dipping sauce. Did I just like, do okay, some real that. white people shit? You know? I mean, I grew up doing it, and I was raised by Vietnamese people, so... Huh. See, wait, I feel wait, am I not supposed to just dump sriracha like in, in the I broth? I see everyone do that shit. I mean, yeah, I do that constantly. I it put is, a lot of sriracha in mine, but not so much that all I can taste. Yeah, not so much yeah. that I can't taste the broth anymore. Because then it because just is like boiled What sriracha. you really should do is like actually just like taste the broth before adding uh, anything. Yep. And if yeah. it's good pho, if it's good pho, that shit. He's like I agree. No, I, I I thoroughly enjoy just good pho broth. You know why? You got a point there. Cool. Is that you think that's it for the pho commentary? Well, on on the on the hot sauce narrative, um, I go out of my way to find the places with the uh, the chili flakes and the oil. Yep. And I yep. you know empty out half you the container, the and I always go in a white shirt, and so by the end I'm just like <laughs> just covered in chili oil uh and i'd rather have it no other way this is somewhat tangential but i did order a bowl of like really spicy ramen one time that shit came out orange i was wearing a white shirt they're like do you want a bib i was like nah i got this and i walked out of that restaurant with a pristine white shirt wow i'm so (laughs) get on my level coughing me and me and tv johnny often we go for pho uh, uh, over lunch when we're out, when we're like we work close to each other, and yeah, I just get it all myself. I don't care. I I just don't even look. It's a badge of honor. You know, I gotta I gotta pick a small beef with some of these hybrid Asian restaurants or like fusion restaurants pick a that beef. Huh. skimp. They skimp on the anise and the cinnamon. Everything. Like, don't be so stingy with the fucking spices, yeah. man. On the season. 
Like, I can tell when you just dump fish sauce in that shit. I can tell. It's fine, but you only get three stars on Yelp. <laughs> Snow, are you a Yelp elite member where you, you just get free food all the time? Oh, don't, man. Don't lie. Don't wi- lie to no, us. No, I fucking wish. I just feel bad. <laughs> I've worked in the service industry for so long, and so I was just like, I, I can't. I will look, but... Um, I like actually looking for when the business owners reply and be like, sorry, Karen, sounds like you just didn't understand. Sucks to suck. <laughs> Bye. I thoroughly enjoy those. See, I don't have any regrets. I'll drop a one star real quick if they serve me a lemon on the side or some like weak ass substitute condiment or accoutrement. Like, I don't fuck with that. It's got to be limes. It's got to be hella basil. You are not leaving Yelp reviews. I'm too lazy for that. Like, <laughs> you're not leaving Yelp I mean, Yelp I'll, I'll, tip, I'll tip the shit out of them, but like, I got to let them know. Don't come at me with no lemons because they're out of line. All, all I know is that I used to date uh, this, this nice lady, and she was Yelp elite, and she was horrible to go eat with because she would just like send food back if it wasn't up to her standards. And then, like, I would just be just completely embarrassed. And I remember seeing, like, uh, I think the, the hostess of this restaurant we used to go to a lot after we broke up. And the hostess was like, man, really glad you broke up with that person. Like, she was awful and we all hated her. I was like, yeah, great. Oh, man. <laughs> all right. Do we want to move on? Last thing I'll say. One last thing. Because, all right. I am always so disappointed when I see knockoff sriracha on the table. Like the off-brand sriracha shit. I didn't even shit. know that that was a thing. Maybe Hunt's that's ketchup a pos- equivalent. Oh man, it's it's offensive, um, and this was pre-sriracha shortage, a pre-sriracha shortage phenomenon. And let me tell you, I don't go to those places anymore because I want the real deal. That's the last thing I'll say about the fud discourse. Just took 15 fucking minutes on that. Anyways. It's important. Uh, <laughs> it is. <laughs> it wasn't all about thought. All right. That's all the time we have. And we hope you join us next time <laughs> on the Tiger Block Podcast featuring Yellow Peril Tactical. The Pho Block Podcast. All right. Okay. Next question. I don't have a gun yet. And I've never fired one. Do gun ranges have guns that you can borrow to practice with? Who wants to take that? John Chinaman? All right. Yeah, so it's funny you say that. Do gun ranges have guns to practice with? That's literally where I fired my first gun. I was I was like 18 years old, like just freshly 18. I just walked into a gun range and was like, can I rent a gun, please? And the person was like, yeah, sure, here you go. And me and a buddy who had also just turned 18, the dude just like gave us a gun and some ammo. And then we went on the range, and then I just emulated what I saw in movies. So, do gun ranges have guns that you can rent? Yes, they do. Is this a good way to familiarize yourself with firearms? No, it is. It is not. It. it I, I. I can't believe the dude didn't even ask. Like, do you know how to use this? Because we were very obviously eighteen, had no idea what the fuck we were doing. Um, you know, so. Like renting guns at the range is a good way if you're thinking about getting a gun, um, you know, trying some out. Um, 
you know, but preferably if there's people in your area that do shoot or there's groups in your area that do new shooter training, uh, going with a group like that or with some trusted friends who know what they're doing will definitely make you have a better experience overall uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, first, you know, you'll be safer than if you're just dipshit John Chinaman, 18 years old, just like, you know, emulating, you know, The Rock or whatever movies. Um, and also, one of the things that uh, new shooters especially don't know with regards to you know, shooting firearms for the first time is that sometimes, you know, you, you often hear on the internet, like, just get a gun that fits your hand, right? But as a new shooter, someone who doesn't really know how to uh, grip a firearm yet um, and have a good grip that can control recoil, it's good to go with someone who, you know, can help you, especially maintaining and forming that good grip so you can understand and you can feel, actually feel what feels good uh, in, in your hand. So that's a very long answer to what this person I'm sure thought was a short question. Yes, pretty much every range I know has guns you can rent, but definitely go with someone uh, who has experience with firearms or better yet, there's probably a group in your area that does new shooter trainings that are uh, open to people and definitely seek those people out. Uh, I would add to that, Google your local gun ranges because not all of them will necessarily have rentals. So make sure you read the reviews, check out their pricing schemes, and make sure to double check on their rental policies. So there are some in this area that require you to at least bring a friend or bring your own firearm. And so make sure to call ahead and ask if you have any questions. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, speaking from my experience, um, what Koff just said, it's um, or I said in the past, is it's always, if you can help it, go with someone that you know is a friend who you can trust and they have state, they can demonstrate they know what the fuck you're doing. And that's kind of hard to tell if you don't have a frame of reference. But, you know, are they pointing barrels at people, right? That would be a good frame of reference. Uh, and um, checking online yeah not all gun ranges will let you like the ones that i go to that let me do a lot of what i want to do don't there's no rental it's just purely show up and shoot your stuff um if you go to it's also i've also been to really really nice super high-end gun ranges that has like an entire gunsmithing shop a gun store uh a used gun section a knife you know knife shop uh, and an indoor and a big open room area, even classrooms like that, you can. That's like the perfect place if you want to try out guns. You know, if there's a gun that you're looking to try out. You can hold it. You can at the very least dry fire for for free, which tells you a lot about how the, how the gun kind of handles in, you, in your hand. You know, short of actual recoil impulse, or whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's uh, a lot of places will let you do that. Now, if you're trying to just shoot for the first time, maybe, uh, and you don't have someone you can trust, a lot of the times there's going to be an, a range uh, safety officer that will stand next to you and help you out. Like, I've I, I've been to m multiple states, diff different gun ranges that let you do that. It's not a big deal. It's not like an extra cost for a guy to sit next to you and, like, walk you through it or whatever, right? A lot of the time. So, yeah, I mean it just depends. If the RSO is much as much of a douche as can be, they'll probably just tell you what to do anyway without you asking. <laughs> Here you go. You might they get have... the uh, complimentary mansplaining. So, awesome. I don't have a ton to add, but I would think that it would be a shame if you went to a gun range and failed to ask. I mean, regardless of what the 
shop owners political beliefs are or what you think of them most of the people in the gun community especially owners are somewhat accommodating i've definitely stumbled into gun shops where i was kind of chatting them up telling them hey i'm thinking about purchasing so-and-so gun and even if they don't have an established policy to let you rent they might just let you pull a couple shots if that's all you're interested in doing is like seeing how it feels never hurts to ask I think something to be mindful of too, like if you go to a range and you rent a lane and or gun, you do have to show your ID. So if your government name is your dead name, uh, just be prepared uh, to deal with that as well. That part is not always fun for folks. Yeah, let's go to the next question. Um, I hate my AR because I didn't know what I needed at the time. And now I know. Should I build one or buy one? Cough, what do you say? So I would say the vast majority of people into firearms have probably been in that position. Usually the first firearm, especially rifles that you buy, tends to not necessarily be congruent with what you need or what you even like. Um, So to answer the question of build or buy, I would say it really comes down to economy of scale um, in that... The tools and the time spent developing the know-how, that's not necessarily free. So if you're only feasibly going to be interacting with, you know, one or two guns of your own, the answer is going to be buy. But if you have friends that are in kind of the same situation or are interested in getting their first rifle, um, if you have quite a few friends uh, that may want to be getting into the AR platform, uh, I would recommend considering learning to build. So a good framing that I've heard is if you can change a tire and if you can change your oil or another example, if you can assemble a desktop computer, you can probably build an AR-15. So it's going to cost you around $150 to $200 in necessary tools, uh, stuff like a bench vise, a torque wrench, an armorer's wrench, which is specific to the AR platform. Um, a bev block or a reaction rod, some brass punches, and a dimpling jig and a drill if you're going to be installing your own barrels. Um, That's going to help you help others assemble their own ARs down the line. Um, So if that's something that appeals to you as like a tinkerer type person, uh, that can be a pretty fantastic uh, route to go down because there's a lot of resources out on the internet. And again, like I said, it's not really rocket science. Um, If you are able to follow directions and do some research, you can do it. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I'm somebody who has benefited from my friends who are tinkers and have all that equipment. Um, Because I was in that exact same boat not too long ago. Um, And for my second AR, I was able to... uh, mostly build it just because my friends had the... um, equipment for it right and then skill wise like i was the one who was actually doing most of the building anyway um i just needed the equipment and so if you can share it between friends or like within your group that is definitely a very good approach because then you can do a lot of maintenance and things like that um within your friend group very simply okay so next up we have someone who is going for uh, to shoot on public land for the first time. Their question is, do you clean up brass and how? 
what we say in. Generally speaking, of course, leave it better than you found it. Uh, any other thoughts? Uh, pack multiple garbage bags. Make sure everybody's packing garbage bags and nitrile gloves because of lead contamination. Um, tell attendees to pick up some detritus during cold range if it's safe to do so. Uh, set up a catch tarp if you're only using a few firing positions. And if you don't clean up your trash, we will find you and we will replace a third of your ammo with squib loads. You heard it here first, folks. That's the YPT guarantee, kids. I mean, also, like, people just trash public land. I've seen a literal fridge. Uh, I've seen a TV. Uh, I've seen a car hood. Uh, several tires. Uh, generally speaking, don't bring something that you're not willing to pack out as well. And God damn it, please don't shoot at trash. It gives you no meaningful data, and it is plinking at trash is a waste of your time. Please do not do it. I only mag dump my green tips into trash, actually. So, all right, next question. Uh, do y'all have kids? And if so, how do you deal with guns in the home? TV Johnny, what do you think? Okay, uh, answer to the first question is yes, I do have kids. And, uh, I mean, I guess like, it seems like what they're really getting at is how do you balance the need to access your gun with balancing the need to make it inaccessible to your kids. Right. So like, um, I don't know, that's going to be different for every person. I'll share, I'll share my own personal setup and granted, I know that this is overkill, but, uh, my wife has an abundance of caution for a number of reasons. Um, so in my house, I keep uh, guns unloaded within reach. So if I needed it for like a nighttime intruder, I could access it somewhat easily, right? Like I have two, I have two guns, one in a legit safe with a code and another one in a lockbox that's biometric. So of, of course, like they wouldn't be able to access either if I don't tell them the password. Um, I think the the first principle that you should keep in mind is like, how do you protect your kids from anything that's dangerous in the home? Like setting up rules and teaching them what's what's for them to touch and what's not. Uh, those same rules should apply to guns, right? Like teach your kids what guns look like, create rules for what they should do if they see one in their home, if they see one in someone else's home. Real, fake, doesn't matter. I think you should create rules for how they interact with firearms, whether it's a Nerf gun or an AR, you know? Um, so anyway, like my setup in my home is possibly overkill. I keep loaded mags. I don't keep them in the gun. Um, I, I, I guess my general rule is like, I got to keep at least two moves separate from them seeing the gun to being able to like load it up and potentially discharge it. Um, I think that those are pretty solid rules. Just like keeping the mag separate from the gun is a, is a really good one. And not only that, but I mean, I am literally with you right now and we're sitting in front of a gun safe for a lot of the firearms that aren't uh, home defense related. Every, every kid's going to, every kid's going to be different. Like, you know, if your kids are 
rascals and they want to get their hands on everything, you might need an extra layer of precaution, whereas some kids would be terrified and they know that if they see a gun, they're not going to go anywhere near it. They're going to run out of the house and go tell an adult. Um, if you have kids like that, maybe Fucking you can... Snitch. Maybe you can <laughs> maybe you can tend toward like maybe you can tend toward uh I don't know, reducing those layers of precaution. I wouldn't advise that of course. Like I think there's probably no worse feeling than thinking that your kids could access your gun and harm themselves or others. Oh, is that it? All right. I mean that is uh digging into like a follow up question that I have is just like what kinds of considerations should parents take or even like aunts and uncles and um, like should those folks take and consider when deciding when is the right time to talk to younger kids about firearms in the home? I don't want to be the final say on this because I think it's going to be different from everyone, but I firmly believe that there's no such thing as too young to get introduced to guns, at least showing them pictures of what they look like. Um, show, take, them, take them to your computer, pull up some Google images, show them what a shotgun looks like, a rifle, pistol. Um, get them familiarized and, yeah, create those ground rules. As soon as they're able to, like, lift up a gun and potentially cause harm to themselves or others, you should probably think about orienting them toward your firearms and, like, if I have my friend's kids come over to the house, I'll tell the parents straight up, hey, look, we got guns in the house. Here's what we've done to keep everything safe in a way. You can inspect it if you want. Um, and I ask those questions if my kids go to someone else's house, especially if I don't know the parents super well. That'll be like the first question I ask before I let them free. Yeah, and at my house, uh, this is John Chinaman, there are a lot of uh, kids that come over for various reasons. Um, the parents do know that I have firearms and when kids come over, I am very careful because I keep, I do keep a loaded firearm in the house. And when I know that kids are coming over, um, you know, I don't, I know that these kids, you know, I'm where I am. Everyone owns freaking firearms and so do these kids as parents. So I know they've had at least some introduction to firearms, but even so I'm absolutely not leaving one loaded around. I'm absolutely putting it in my gun safe. I don't have kids myself, but I, I was just going to agree with what uh, Johnny was saying about, you know, it's never too early because as long as you're explaining it in terms that uh, the child can understand, right? Like they will pick that up and learn it um, and learning it from an early age is definitely better than, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting. Yeah, you definitely want to demystify. You don't want to treat it like forbidden fruit and create that artificially create that temptation for them to explore, right? You want to like educate them as soon as you can and hope that they don't seek to explore when you're not around. Um, I don't, I think my son might be a little too young. He's about five and a half, but in a couple of years, you know, I'll, I'll take it out, unloaded, show him and explain to him, hey, you don't ever touch this. Uh, you don't want to you don't want to entice them by keeping it a secret. That's good parenting, man. Straight up. I agree with that. Uh, that assessment. When is your son appearing on groups and splits one day? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a nerf blaster. He shot you with it a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that was he caught me. He caught me. He caught me Show lacking. He, he absolutely caught me lacking. He has terrible trigger. Well, discipline, that's your fault for say. being lacking. 
<laughs> but he's always ready to pop some fools, man. What, what was that? What was his fastest draw from Nerf to to Upper Jurassic on John China? <laughs> <laughs> he was waiting in the bushes when he came through the house. <laughs> That's fucking great. Yeah, he's a uh, he's more of an ambush ambush type shooter. That's how we like it. Um. All right. Next question. Uh, general question about recommendations for first-time conceal-carrying folks um, around belts, placement, other things to consider. Cough, what we saying? It's a huge one. Um, you're going to want to start off getting a belt or a couple belts designed specifically for carrying a gun. So the rigidity of belts that are designed for carrying a gun are probably way thicker way more rigid than anything that you've ever tried on. Um, and that's going to make carrying a lot more comfortable, especially over long days. And that's going to help you conceal a lot better. Um, I would say that's number one. Uh, research holsters. Generally speaking, most concealed carry folks, they probably have a shoebox full of holsters that they've tried. Um, I don't know if it's a good time to plug the Wild Gunner. Um, they have a web shop and they're also on Instagram, the wild gunner, one word underscore that does $10 rentals for a few styles of holsters, um, that you can try out for a week. If you decide you don't like it, you know, don't get it. Um, but holster carry location, um, it's going to be very specific to what gun you carry, what light you carry, whether or not you carry an optic, and your body physio physiology, your wardrobe. These are all going to be large factors in terms of determining what a good holster for you is and where you're going to carry it. So once you get a holster, um, hopefully you've gotten one with some amount of adjustment. So make sure you experiment with your holster angle and your holster ride height because that can make a big difference in terms of your comfort and concealability and your consistency when it comes to draw. Um, and I guess the last thing that comes to mind is make sure that you're testing various outfits. Um, obviously baggier shirts are going to be behave very differently from fitted t-shirts and they're going to behave differently than you know, baggy jackets. So make sure whatever you're going to wear that you're experimenting, that it works with your carry system. Anybody else have any thoughts? I would just say like, you know, record yourself, like put your phone up against something and like record yourself in different positions um, because, you know, you can stand in front of a mirror and how you conceal there is very different from how you conceal sitting or like for me, I ride a bike. So obviously that affects it as well. Um, you know, just all of the different sort of motions that you go about in your daily, whatever you do, uh, is going to affect how your clothing and your gun interact. And so it's useful to like have a friend watch you or record yourself so that you can see that and minimize any printing that might occur. Yeah, no, I and I agree with everything that being said. Like a lot of what uh, both y'all were talking about is exactly how I first started getting to concealed carrying. I was just like. All right. Uh, what is my researching into? What is a good gun belt? What is a good holster? What is a good placement? Um, pros and cons of everything. How do I look with me in my bedroom 
uh, with my phone facing towards me and it's recording it, right? I, I, that's literally my entire process when I got into concealed carrying. And um, I think another part of the question was about um, uh, holster placement. So equipment, your, your technique, your placement, and your equipment all place together because if one of those are lacking too much, it starts screwing with everything. If you can have great technique, but if your holster's crap, it's no longer safe to carry. If your belt's crap, it's going to start sagging. It's going to start uh, displacing where your gun would normally be, and now your grip, your draw strike motion is no longer consistent. All these things add up, right? Um, in terms of placement, right, you're going to see a lot of common uh, placement. is going to be the appendix-style carry. For those that don't know, it's right where your appendix is, right? Right in front of your uh, body. And so that allows you to be, uh, be able to ex- you know, quickly access your tools. You're able to fight off potential attackers with it if they go for your gun. This is a, a concept most people don't talk about or drill. And for most people, a lot of people, it's also the most comfortable just because it can make pretty easy adjustments. It's always in front of you. You're always aware of it. I used to carry strong sides or around the four o'clock position. You know, you're not really going to through three o'clock conceal carry unless you're doing outside of waistband wearing a jacket during times like winter so maybe that does apply to you but generally speaking if you do that inside the waistband that's that's the gun resting on your hip bone and i guarantee you're not going to enjoy that for too long so you're going to go offset a little bit to kind of where your your ass cheek's going to be basically right and uh that's that's still a permissible way to carry a lot of people people still do carry that uh people who with thicker bodies you know maybe the plus size or whatever uh may not favor appendix carry because of the extra weight etc getting away and that's perfectly you know that's, a, that's a very valid for sure so the strong side carry is also still valid it's gonna uh i've seen super fast draw strokes in there to understand that now you have to, you have to have to do more clearance of you know shoving your clothes out of the way with your support hand to get to that gun to then access that it's still plausible like you know well i think what most people would never agree with doing uh, and i would agree with us too is don't do small the back which is directly at your your six o'clock carrying it that way is there's pretty much no uh good reason to do so i i've seen friends of mine try to argue this to me and i have yet to see a good reason to demonstrably speaking and or whatever it's you know however they want to justify it in their heads you have a piece of metal directly on your tailbone or your spine so imagine for a second you took a tumble which you should not discount that in a real fight uh you can you can possibly paralyze yourself second of all if you're on your back have fun getting to your gun i'll tell you from experience drilling force on force with airsoft guns from the appendix if i'm on my back and the attackers on their feet all I got to do is keep them away from my feet, and I can easily draw my gun. They're at an enormous disadvantage to get to me because I have all this space for me to pull out my gun and just pop them from my back. You're going to have a hard time doing that from small to back. It's not impossible to do so from strong side, but just understand like understand that you're not always going to be in a nice standing position on both legs, right? You're going to be seated sometimes. You're going to be on your ass sometimes. You're going to be on your side, right? So understand how that works. Um, also, if you try draw, uh, the draw stroke from going from your small to back is extremely long, and the likelihood of you flagging people increases like a, a, a shit ton. Like you're doing this awkward half moon motion, which lends itself to muzzling people when you don't mean to. And I've demonstrated this numerous times, especially if you have friends who are you know martial artists who are grapplers. The motion for you to go and reach the gun directly behind on your on your uh, 
small your back opens itself up it invites a half nelson for those who don't know what that is basically looping your arm through someone else's arm and grabbing your neck you're, it's a grappling move and now they have pretty much almost all control of your entire shooting arm so you've have fun with that right so anyways that's a bit of a bit of a, a tangent there but absolutely cannot recommend small the back uh, carry options i think that what's not often talked about is is the for people that aren't straight dudes like me who wear belts and jeans every day right because now your carry options become severely limited if you're a woman if you're a femme person that wears skirts yoga pants uh basketball shorts what have you right so your carry options end up becoming well i can't depend on the rigid belt anymore so to speak right uh we have options out there i know the questions uh was intended more for like newer uh people to like people newer to concealed carry but like if you know that appendix is something that like works for you and you like so in my personal example i'm in that boat but um there's plenty of times when i'm like wearing shorts or like skirts or pants or overalls that like don't let me appendix carry with a traditional gun belt um i recently got a filster enigma i know there's a few others who also have one and that is just super convenient um and honestly just really comfortable um, and to be honest, it's kind of my new favorite concealed carry setup um, at the moment, especially with the sports belt. Um, that shit is so comfy. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's my personal uh, preference and recommendation. Um, it is, you know, a bit pricier. But if you factor like if you compare the cost of like a good gun belt and a good holster, it probably isn't like too far off. So I got another shout out to Philster, the manufacturer of the Enigma, and that's spelled P-H-L-S-T-E-R. Um, so the folks that run Philster do have a lot of fantastic resources on considerations for concealed carry. They've put together some really good infographics about uh, the principles of concealed carry in terms of how to conceal and how to ensure that you have a consistent draw. Um, I'd highly recommend anybody who is either getting into concealed carry or wants to kind of tune up their concealed carry system to look at some of the resources that they've put together there. Also, just to add something around, like, getting comfortable with concealed carry is getting comfortable with having a loaded gun so close to your junk. And so starting off, like, without it chambered is probably a good starting point if that's something you worry about with the intention of eventually carrying it around uh, chambered. Because are you really going to have time to rack the slide and get a good purchase on your gun before firing? Probably not, right? But jumping directly to conceal carrying chambered uh, may not be the path for you. And that is also very fine. Yeah, and you can also just like practice wearing your concealed carry setup just at home right just to get used to the feeling and like literal weight of carrying that um i do want to emphasize just again because i know we mentioned it before but the filster enigma does only work for appendix carry so just you know again make sure that um you're down with that which like soju said i think we all sort of wholeheartedly endorse appendix carry as one of the better options um but yeah, just keep that in mind, because if you go Filster Enigma, you are committed to appendix carry. Um, I will say, I, I don't know if like, I know I carry off body sometimes just because, you know, sometimes I just wear things I do too. I can't necessarily do appendix, right? Um, 
And I will admit for that, that I feel like I'm still figuring out a good solution um, just because off-body carry is not optimal to begin with. Yeah, um, not, you know, again, uh, concealed carry could be its own episode, if we're being honest right now. But the off-body carry has its place, right? I off-body carry sometimes, right? Um, When I'm at the gym, right? Uh, if I'm out of a jiu-jitsu class or Muay Thai class or what have you, uh, you know, I, I have a I have an entire Vertex EDC bag set up right, specific to my to my gun. Like, right, my holster is in there. It's a hard Kydex holster. There's all these options for me to access it. it at the end of the day, it's still not going to replace on-person carry. But there's a time and place uh, for certain things, right? Certain occasions, uh, restrictions. It, it, at the end of the day, as long you know, if it's at least within arm's reach, it's better than nothing, right? Um, but you know, if you're going to do off body carry, understand that please, for the love of God, do not do like Velcro attached holster shit, like get the option of a hard Kydex that is attached. You can do industrial trained holster, like as an attachment point. Right. But the holster itself needs to be something hard and rigid. Don't just suddenly throw out safety at the window. Right. For the convenience. Uh, Vertex does sell the stupid, horribly shitty vert, uh, like a uh, Velcro wrap that goes around your gun. Don't ever use that. Uh, you know, if you're going to go that route for people who would I have, you can go to QVO Tactical. They make holster uh, hard, hard Kydex holsters that have that Velcro mount to, to then go inside your Vertex bags. Much better route to go. Um, I'm sure other people can do that too. I'm sure Gorilla Tactical can do that for you as well. I'll tell you right now, QVO takes goddamn forever to give you a holster. But yeah, it's literally just a guy in his garage. That's the entire setup. To, yeah, so not even kidding. Um, yeah. I'm going to amend my um, approval of the Filster Enigma to specifically the Light Bearing Enigma. Um, they have two different models. Uh, one that supports guns that don't have lights and one that supports guns that have lights and the holsters that will fit them. And personally, I only advocate for always carrying a light on every single concealed carry firearm. 100%. And like, yeah, we're all nodding. Yeah, it's, and I hate to do this, but I got friends who don't carry lights and guns. And all I got to say is come get your boy, right? Yeah, name them right now. <laughs> I, I have a friend who still carries with a trigger plug, um, and it gives me an aneurysm every time I think about it. <laughs> Post their right. addresses. <laughs> Legal All name, right. social well, security numbers. Sorry. <laughs> street they grew up on. Name of their first grade teacher. Name of their first car. Where did they grow up? Um, All right. God said, let there be a light-bearing Filster Enigma. So, next question. How can I establish community in my mid-sized Midwest city? Um, I am going to generalize this question, not specifically to the Midwest. Um, I've only been there a handful of times. Um, But I think generally speaking is that there are multiple mediums in which you can find out who's doing what. Uh, including social media, unfortunately. Um, The hellscapes that are Twitter and Instagram can be good places to start. Um, That way you can go to their in-person events and see what they're up to. Don't judge them based off of what you see online because I can almost certainly give you the YPT guarantee that um, sometimes you will be disappointed, Uh, but sometimes you will be pleasantly surprised. 
but the really only way to find out is by just starting somewhere. Um, you could even start with um, like nonprofits, for example, which might be a wider net, uh, although they tend to be more liberal centrist, um, charity based models, not truly revolutionary. Um, but you will likely find people in those spaces that can lead you to the spaces that you actually want to be in or find the people that you want to create that new space to, to, to help people to do mutual aid kind of work. Um, and uh, it's not going to be easy. It's going to fucking suck. Um, take a peek at our pee-pee-poo-poo burnout post. Uh, just keep that in mind because it's, uh, one, super important, and two, uh, it's not just important, but it's necessary to avoid burnout if you can. Uh, it's going to be hard if you're trying to establish something new because uh, you are starting from scratch. But even if you see a social media account that's not from where you're at, if they're doing stuff that um, you would like to do, it's you know not proprietary, even if they claim for it to be. Like mutual aid belongs to everybody. Um, and so... I think that's like my quick and dirty advice. Um, and I think generally speaking too, is like being mindful of OPSEC, you know, depending on what it is that you're getting into. Um, but, you know, move at the speed of trust uh, and build relationships with people. Um, that's a quote from Adrian Marie Brown. I didn't make that up myself. Uh, do folks have other thoughts on this? To build onto something that Snow said, um, you know, here at YPT, we do a pretty specific thing in terms of firearms education on social media. But for anybody out there who's looking to get involved in their own location, in whatever they're interested in, um, and you see groups either on social media or that you've heard of that are inspiring to you, um, go ahead and reach out. Um, go find their email or their Twitter account or their Facebook account. Facebook account. Um, generally speaking, most people that are active in their communities are more than willing to reach out uh, or like to, to answer any questions that you might have and um, hopefully help you get situated in your own community. Any last thoughts on establishing community? Coolio. Um, next question is best ways for people of color to stay safe while traveling. Um, that is a big one, um, and it's something that, of course, we always have to think about knowing that folks out there literally want to kill us um, and want to see us suffer, um, and at best, they just don't want us to succeed. So first things first would just be like researching laws wherever it is that you're going and also being aware of, um, like airline requirements if you want to bring something like pepper spray for example you have to check that so don't try to carry that in uh, or carry that on to the plane um, there are airline requirements uh, for flying with guns you have to check that airline specifically you have to fill out a form um, but generally speaking like that's all you really have to do but making sure like if you have a concealed handgun license uh, or concealed carry permit, or whatever it's called, that it is reciprocated in whatever location you're going to. Some states will issue one that is recognized in several states. Um, and so that's worthwhile. 
Uh, also, if you are traveling alone, uh, letting someone somewhere else know where you're going, how long you're going to be there, at what point in time should they be worried if they haven't heard from you. Very similar to like if you go hiking uh, in a remote area, right? I also listen to a lot of true crime. And so this shit I'm always thinking about, uh, unfortunately, because shit happens out there and cops are not good at solving crime, turns out. Um, and so it's just being really mindful of legal implications of caring what, uh, being very hyper vigilant of what your surroundings are, having someone know your plan, where to find you, who to call if they can't find you. Um, and ultimately, like, you can do everything right and still be a victim to violence, right? And so it's never your fault if you're subjected to violence. Um, it's up to us to do what we can, but ultimately, like, we don't get to decide when violence is um, inflicted upon us. And so I think that's something to be mindful of, right? Because I get very paranoid. I listen to a lot of true crime. I can still carry a handgun, but none of that is going to prevent someone from wanting to harm uh, or murder me, right? Uh, unfortunately. So, yeah, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, right, everything's just about, like, risk mitigation, right? Like, you can't fully prevent it. So just taking as many steps as you can to minimize situations where you're, like, by yourself or, you know, in places where um, it's, like, not comfortable for you or things like that. Um, snow pretty much covered uh, most of it. I will say as somebody who road trips a lot more, um then I fly, uh, you know, even something as simple as like, also not being like gender uh, conforming, um, like, you know, going to a gas station and using the bathroom, right? Um, I personally, right, try to stick to like, sort of the bigger chains and stuff like that. Um, just because you're usually probably going to see more people of color, right? People aren't really going to give a shit as much. Um, versus like, if you're going to like, really small, like, country gas station where there's only like two bathrooms two gas pumps it's like a little sketchier um but yeah just sort of being smart about where you go and who you tell and things like that is pretty it helps mitigate a lot of things yeah my uh my whole thing is navigating i mean i would just going to gun spaces as someone you know who's person of color whatever right uh i'm not someone that's trans i'm not someone that's femme or whatever but uh so i can get away with a lot of things right just up oh, the street dude right and a lot of times when they look at um asians they can you can kind of uh manipulate what they perceive of you as being like the good kind of asian in a right-wing gun space right just wearing like pro-gun shirts or pro-gun uh hoodies or whatever or even throwing on that classic Old Navy American flag attire, you know, that you get at 4th of July. Just gotta blend the fuck in. So, right? Like, some part of it is, like, literally camouflage of, like, how to... Maybe don't wear your fucking A-cap shirt on a road trip, you know? Like, yeah. it's... Like, I cover most of my tattoos when I'm driving, Bump, even if I'm, Bumper like, stickers is yes, a big thing. Um, 100%. My car has no bumper stickers um, and I get that there, there can be some really cute and funny ones, but like political bumper stickers can, if you're road tripping, I'm not sure I would personally choose that. Yeah. 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 
I know people that have been run off the road because they just had like a very basic anti-racist bumper sticker in a very rural county. Um, and that's just having a fucking bumper sticker. Um, generally speaking, it's just good to have a very indis- like nondescript car so that people can't um, follow you home as easily. Um, but, yeah. Speaking of bumper stickers, I will say I have a friend who bought a used car that had like a sheriff's like bumper sticker on it, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm leaving it on there as camouflage." I was like, "That's, that's pretty smart, actually." Speaking of being prepared, uh, how do you afford guns um, and the necessary safety training uh, when you're brokey broke broke? What we say in John Chinaman? Oh yeah, um, so. I'm not brokey broke broke, but um, I definitely have a lot of stuff going on in my life where I can't make firearms like my number one, you know, priority all the time in terms of, you know, even even hobbies. You know, I've, you know, just just life gets in the way sometimes um, in terms of you know sort of being prepared and general preparedness. There's uh, a lot of things that you can do uh, for free or very low cost that will you know greatly assist you and your friends. For example, stop the bleed, easy one right there. A lot of the classes they may be at your local hospital or something like that are completely free. Um, there may be a crew in your area that's holding stop the bleed classes that are free. Um, that is something that you are way more likely to use uh, than a firearm. We always w- recommend that people get that kind of training. Um, and it's free and a lot of those materials, um, you, know, you can order them off the internet and they cost money, but there are groups uh, out there that also will send you this kind of stuff for free. Um, those being tourniquets, Z-Pack gauze, um, sort of the uh, the hyphen vent chest seals. Um, that is something that you can do for very low cost to you know contribute uh, right away. Um, in terms of acquiring firearms, like not gonna lie, uh, acquiring firearms is uh, can be very expensive. Um, if you see a lot of the stuff that uh, you know that we have, a lot of the stuff. Keep in mind, is not something that we just bought like in the span of three months. For some of us, you know, yeah. You know, for example, I got my first rifle in 2018, and it's 2022 now, and I still have that same rifle um, with basically no modifications except a different optic. Um, so, the thing that I think people should keep in mind is that when you're talking about like personal defense uh, and you know, defense of others, is that you know, most of us aren't gonna be walking around the streets like going to your local McDonald's with an AR, right? The thing that's going to be most helpful for most people is a quality concealed carry setup that we've uh, talked about earlier. And if you sort of want to prioritize the medical training, which as I just mentioned, a lot of which you can get uh, for free, plus a quality concealed carry setup. A lot of the other stuff, you, you can buy it if you want. Uh, you don't have to buy it if you don't want to. I mean, when you're talking about quality concealed carry setup, you're talking about a belt, a holster, a firearm, a light, and an optic. And then, you know, and ammo and range time. Stuff like uh, a rifle is just not as essential as having a quality concealed carry setup. It may look cool to acquire a set of body armor, but most people are not going to be putting themselves in a situation where you know, body armor is going to be something that's, that's really necessary for their threat model. So you know, keep that in mind uh, when acquiring any piece of gear. And I'm not going to lie, and we're not going to lie to you and say that some of the stuff 
is not expensive, but there are ways to minimize costs. And as always, think about what you need the firearm for when acquiring one. Yeah, I don't want to minimize anyone's risk profile. Like if you're in imminent danger, like, I don't know, your options are kind of limited. But uh, as we've alluded to, there's a lot that you can do at very low cost, like the safety training being paramount. If you can't afford a gun, you can work out your body, get yourself in good enough physical shape to run away from threats if you need to. Um, Next step up would be like learning how to fight. If you can afford it, get non-lethal options like pepper spray. If you're comfortable, maybe like a pocket knife would do the trick or a light. Um, And then just kind of build out your kit piecemeal over time. Um, I think when you're talking about folks on the left, very few of us have the cash to go out and spend serious money all at one time getting uh, armor and a rifle and a gun and all the other gear that you need to make your concealed carry setup comfortable and work for you. So just build it out over time, but start with the basics, the safety training and um, building out your body to the fullest extent that you're able to. Um, Those are probably the two highest priorities that I can think of. And in terms of firearm safety training itself, because I know that the person uh, mentioned this specifically, uh, again, they're is there are groups in a lot of areas who will provide uh, this training to you uh, for free. Um, A lot of groups hold these free trainings that you can go to. So, um, and a lot of groups that we know provide, you know, not only gun safety, but just beginner firearm stuff. And so after you get the firearm, definitely check around to see if there are people in your area uh, putting in the work with new shooters uh, who can get you going um, at a lower cost than paying you know, local chud, fud, dingus uh, out at local ranch who hasn't updated his curriculum since the 70s to teach you. To tag on to what John Chinaman said about getting stop the bleed training, getting basic first aid training. Um, Over the last two years, we've had a lot of folks um, ask us about being interested in getting stop the bleed training, but their website, um, I forget what the website name is, um, is a little slow in updating since the pandemic started. Uh, one another resource that folks might want to check if they don't have um, community groups in their area that are offering Stop the Bleed training or local medical providers that are doing it is to call around to fire stations around you. Uh, most firefighters are required to be EMTs and most uh, stations are equipped to uh, do Stop the Bleed training. So definitely a resource that it's not something that they advertise, but something definitely worth um, getting your friends together and calling around and seeing what's available. Yeah. Um, you know, part of the question was asking about, you know, if you're, you know, financially limited or, or you know, um, I think things to explore, it's going to depend on your area, your state uh, laws or whatever. But uh, my usual route is looking for used guns. And depending on where you're at, you can go, it, it can be very easy as easy as basically going to like your state's equivalent of a firearms Craigslist uh, meeting in person, doing cash exchange. If your state allows that, uh, you know, reaching out to friends, but also, you know, guns.com has a certified used firearm section, which means that that's a certified thing. It's not, you're not going to get it scammed for it, you know? And so you can look at the specs, look it up there. You can even negotiate prices for that too. Right. Um, 
in terms of the training aspect, right? Um, the, the part of the question was about safety training. So firearm safety training is something that you can, like if you, there's a, there's an abundant of free training resources on YouTube alone. Now, look, there's plenty of shitty ones too, but uh, I, I recommend Tactical Hive. I think they make excellent uh, snippets, like short digestible videos on a specific technique or specific concepts. And they're not just tactical bros. They're people that come from tactical world, but they also reach out to real USPSA shooters too, who are like masters, grandmasters to get like, you know, insights outside of their own realm and bias. Right. So it's a really cool resource. Uh, Sage dynamics is a great one too. Uh, there's a lot of things that you can get out of there just uh, in terms of safety and safety is a mindset thing really. Right. Once you learn what, what the four or five, arm safety rules are and the proper handling techniques really it's about you right you don't i don't necessarily think that you have to take a class on the safety aspect that's like a part of the greater whole if i if i were to pay money to take a class it's also i'm learning shit about how to shoot better or whatever right um and, but I, and I'm also not saying that a bunch of videos are going to replace going to a class, right? I mean, if you can muster up the money, and classes can be expensive, right? Uh, taking a class with a you know professional can goes a extremely long way. You, you take away things from first of all your your perspective changes. You don't just think that plinking sitting at a static range is what good shooting looks like. You see what like the standard, a high standard of shooting looks like. In many ways, they'll inspire you to get better, but also they'll teach you things that you could take away and practice by yourself to get better. Right. So it just depends, right? I I don't want to say that you know drop 700 bucks for a class if you can't afford it you know don't do that you can't afford it right but little things you can piecemeal a lot of different resources knowing people that you know have being making connections to people who do know a lot more than you do is automatically a, a greater step to getting better you know baby steps so yeah and if you have taken these classes uh please share the knowledge you have gained with your friends who cannot take these classes either because they can't afford it or because for example they're not gender non-conforming and they literally can't go uh they'll get kicked out please share this knowledge uh with people um also second tip is if you see a car with a bumper sticker that says come and take it or the u.s constitution uh, there's probably a uh, 45 1911 inside. The downside is it's probably uh, going to be a Kimber and it's probably going to be crap, but it's free. So um, better than nothing, right? Is this legal <laughs> advice? This, this is not legal advice. <laughs> um, okay, next question. Do you have advice for organizing if you live in a place that lacks like-minded people? That was a tongue twister. Oh, we sort of we sort of answered that one. Okay, yes, I think so too. The answer, the answer being like there probably are people. Make friends. Make friends. Know how to use social media without compromising yourself. Um, yeah, you know, and look, you can start with leftist groups that already that could be in your area. I mean, SRA is not perfect, but you can start there. DSA isn't perfect, but you can start there. Yup. Yeah, DSA, PSL. SRA, John Brown Gun Club, if there's an option. I'm not saying any of these organizations don't have problems. I've seen them all have fucking problems. But uh, a lot of these organizations are also can be dependent on the region. Some regions have great people. Some of them just have people that don't have their shit together, just how it is. But I see it as a networking starting point if you're serious about organizing some sort of uh, defense group or whatever. I've done it uh, 
you know, time is before. So, you know, start somewhere. You know, it's better to start with a group that you know, at least as a baseline, aren't like libs and aren't right-wingers. So there you go. Uh, That's the answer. All right. So what what's the difference between motivating people to train and just buying a firearm? So what we saying? I would say bully them. Motivation's really personal and it's different from person to person. Um, at its core for training and firearms, it takes work and dedication to get good. And for, I would say a majority of gun culture out there, a lot of the motivation comes from a rather vague sense of, well, I don't want to get burglarized or robbed. And that's, you know, a vague motivation that isn't going to particularly get someone out there to focus on skills development uh, with a lot of intention. So find out what's going to... um, tangibly motivate you if you're competitive go shoot competition if you want to be more involved with your community for any pursuit get out there and do it so one of the things that actually in my own crew was pretty helpful was you know if you are in a crew or you have friends like a lot of the times people due to the fact that gun culture in the united states is mainly revolves around just buying shit and a lot of it is like just dumb shit. People really don't know what being a good shooter is like because all they have watched on the internet is Paul Harrell releasing an hour and a half long screed about how he doesn't use fancy technologies like shot timers and why he blasts at bottles and various meats instead of using gel. So uh, yeah, so if that's all you watch, then yeah, you, you, you know, you're not seeing what the best shooters um, actually look like. And so if you do, you know, see that kind of content or you have friends that are good shooters or competitive shooters, be the change you want to see in the world. So at the next range day, maybe you're the one who says, okay, I'm going to do these specific drills targeting these areas. Who wants to join me? Um, my guess is that some of them will, especially when you demonstrate a to all your friends that just plink casually that you can uh, shoot a lot better than them. And hopefully your friends are like, oh, geez, wow, I want to get good, too. This guy's just, you know, th- this homie's just sitting here just smoking me. So, you know, that is actually pretty helpful. And honestly, I've seen this in real life in my own crew, which started mainly as plinkers into now people who have, you know, skills focused, skills focused range days. And these aren't range days where people are expending a lot of a high amount of ammunition either. I mean, we're talking skills focus, uh, drills targeted specific skills, incorporating dry fire. It can be done, but sometimes if you know what being a good shooter looks like, even if you're not the best shooter, if you at least know what it looks like, you can lead the way. I don't know. I got kind of a counterpoint on that because it's like the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Like also selection bias. If somebody's going to be persuaded by you demonstrating to them how much better you are than them they're probably they probably have some like latent motivation to get a little bit better i mean if if you're talking about like showing people videos to to explain to them like how good they could become um that might work for a subset of people but there's a huge group of folks that aren't going to be convinced by just logging on to youtube and watching people shoot holes in 
targets from like 100 yards away. I mean, I think like it can be even more basic than that. Just make it fun and make it a slow, gradual progression so that you're not telling them, hey, I'm I'm enticing you out to the range with the hope that you'll continue to join me and eventually get good enough to join my crew. Like give them something to latch onto so that they want to return, you know, make it like a, a social event and then, you know, entice them with that kind of let's do two gun competition, those kind of persuasive techniques a little bit later. Oh yeah, my crew did do a two-gun competition. Uh, sort of, you know, outlaw USPA rules, um, and man, it was really fun. Some people were competitive shooters, but some people weren't, and it definitely got some people absolutely more interested in stepping up uh, their own training. Very worthwhile. Yeah, there's no I, harm in I'm asking the, in asking the people in your crew who just own firearms but don't train, like, hey, what what could I do to make this more fun and entice you to come with me? You know, like open up that line of dialogue and ask them why they don't want to train and work with what responses they give you. I think the fun is a factor, but um, demystifying like what goes into becoming a better shooter, like opening up that black box so people can see what's inside. I feel like also helps because, um, you know, different people are motivated different ways, right? Some people are motivated by like the fun social aspect of it, but some people, um, and this is sort of speaking from my own experience, but like just some people really like, like learning a skill and like learning how to get better at it. And the process of like learning how to think about that metacognitively uh, can be really helpful, especially because then it's like, Oh, when I go home and like try fire practice, I know what I can like think about or pay attention to that helps me like better see better results at the range. Um, But then it also like cough says, right. Kind of goes back to like what kind of threat model is that person expecting? And like, how much does that motivate them as well? Um, Because like, I know just from like my job and personal experiences, right. Like I have, I I feel like I'm pretty like at risk, right. For violence and stuff like that. Um, and so having that understanding was something that like, uh, motivated me even before I was a firearms owner, if that makes sense. But yeah, it's definitely very much an individual thing and kind of just keying into what, what works for each person, um, is going to be important. But I think those are some useful general categories to start from. Um, you know, motivation is an individual. I mean, Koff said it first, right? Individual basis. What motivates people? I don't. I don't know. Are you competitive? That's why you want to get better at something. It's because something really traumatic happened to you, and now you're saying, "I never want to be a victim again." I think all those things are uh, considerations. Um, I don't know. I feel like in my experience, what kind of you know what what gets me motivated was the fact that you know I took classes with people who were you know, for all intents and purposes or professionals or way levels above me. And I'm just like, wow, I wish I want to get there. Right. Or something like that. Right. Or on some level you or me, you may have that knowledge and know how, and you're the most, I guess, lack of a better word, competent person with that skill set in your, in your community. And you're the one teaching people. Well, now you have the responsibility to get better yourself. Right. In that context, I think you do, you do yourself the service if all you're doing is teaching, you're not learning new stuff. Right. So that's one source of motivation. It's just there is no black and white answer here, right? So uh, I, I do think that motivation should be at the end of the day be, be towards I want to make myself or others around me safer, right? So All good thoughts, y'all. Um, do we have any tips to share about having direct and frank conversations with 
um, anti-gun people because they're out there. There's lots of um, folks who feel even more anti-gun with the gun control legislation playing out at state levels and at the federal level. Uh, it's out there. It's going to be out there every single time a mass shooting happens. Uh, gun control groups use that emotional manipulation tactic to get this kind of legislation passed, right? So uh, this shit's going to keep on happening. What kind of tips do we got? You know, I feel like every every single one of us has had this conversation with uh, libs in their lives or whatever. But, oh, man, I've been through a lot of this fucking conversation with a lot of people that I know. It, you're 100% correct. It's the emotional manipulation. When you don't fucking know anything and all you have are just headlines and then just, you know, emotional outbursts, there's just there's no objective analysis on how things work in the world. Uh, they just go to the easy answers. And to them, the easy answer is just, well, we just got to ban everything, right? Just with absolutely zero analysis, historical context, absolutely no regard to people that don't live in their privileged little fucking fantasy world, right? You know, with that conversation, you, you got to start raising questions to them, being like, okay, Lib, who fucking spent 2020 saying defund the police or you know going out protesting police brutality or you know in in agreement that the uvalde handling cops handling that the mass shooting was a fucking fiasco why would you want to live in a world where only these kinds of people are the ones that have guns that can who already have the unequal you know power to fucking decide to kill you when they feel like it why would you even make it even more unequal and give it to them um what what in recent history recent memory has convinced you to think that these are the most qualified individuals. Because look at the legislation trying to be passed right now in the Senate, H.R. 1808. It specifically exempts law enforcement. And we're talking about fucking SWAT teams of the Department of Agriculture and Department of Education having the fucking fully automatic fucking M4s or whatever. But the uh, the single mother trying to escape a abusive spouse has to wait in goddamn knows how long on a wait list to get one, one pistol because she's being stalked and threatened by, you know, an abusive spouse. Like, what it was kind of shit is that? But that, you have to break their little realm of comfort, right? They don't live in the world of, of our world where we know we could be killed for just existing or whatever, right? They live in a perfect world where it's, it's well, guns only exist when I look at, you know, uh, play Call of Duty or I watch fucking Tom Cruise movies or whatever, right? So it, bringing a dose of reality has to happen. Otherwise, these people don't get it, right? And it's hard. It's, it's never going to work out the way you think it is right like you know it's not, it's not a guarantee is what i'm saying but uh that's kind of where i where i go it kind of you make them question who they are because they're liberals are by nature hypocritical just point out their hypocrisy i mean i think that's a good point too like just to add on to something that you were saying around like uh, a victim of domestic violence well google 40 percent of cops right like we see that tagline so often that sometimes it loses its meaning but like literally go look it up and see how many cops of all varieties and flavors of law enforcement, military, are per perpetrators of domestic violence, right? And you're going to go tell that person who is victimized by them, like, oh, sorry, you're going to wait three to five days, maybe even three weeks to buy a gun. Hopefully you don't die. Haha. <laughs> oh, maybe you can call us. Oh, maybe, maybe you do and we don't take you seriously. And then you're murdered the next day, right? Like, cops can't even fucking fight crime. That's not their purpose, right? They're not there to actually protect us. And that's the motherfuckers who want to have the guns. Like, I think also 
an argument around like, well, then you should have to have a permit. You have to have a permit to drive. I'm like, cool. Are those permits going to be free? Are those classes going to be free? Oh, so you're okay with creating a class barrier then? You're just going to say, fuck poor people, just go die? Right? Obviously, don't be maybe that agitational, right? But like, I think you're right, Soju, with like planting the seed and asking a lot of questions to make them question their reality, right? Because there's no way that you, like, if they just listen to whatever the fuck you say and they're like, aye, aye, Captain, uh, that's not necessarily good either. Because, you know, the Eugene Debs quote where it's like, I can lead you out of the gates of hell. I always fuck up that quote, but like, you want them to critically think for themselves, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I think as far as like initiating that conversation, it's always valuable to establish the points that you can agree on because even for some of the most hardcore libs that I know, they will concede that cops are armed and pose a threat to a lot of people of color and um, other disadvantaged and oppressed groups in our society and community. And they'll also concede that there's a lot of dangerous, quote unquote, people that are armed and um, maybe ask them what are their proposals for dealing with that in the here and now like let's not let's not move so far into the imagined future where we're talking about like well if no one had access to a gun everything would be fine like seriously ask them to ponder what are their ideas for staying safe when there are dangerous armed individuals out there and if they're at least willing to concede some ground that uh, you arming yourself presents like some some layer of protection against those people then you can start to have a conversation but if they're not even willing to concede that i don't waste my time arguing with them because you're almost guaranteed that it's going to end up pointless combo yeah i think that's a really important distinction um for people that are asking this question the divide between liberals that you have to interact with on a regular basis versus internet Twitter liberals that you really don't, you're not obligated to give an answer to, um, except to dunk on them because that's what they are there for. Um, that's what they exist <laughs> to have happen to them to, to be dunked on. For folks that are in your family, coworkers, friends that still for some reason in the year 2022 still don't get it, um, the plugging another podcast, uh, Filster, the folks that make the Enigma and uh, a line of holsters, they put together a podcast series called Guns Guide to Liberals. Um, and it's, I believe, an eight or ten part podcast that breaks down what effective arguments that appeal to the liberal mindset um, can look like, how to structure these arguments, how to appeal correctly. Um, and really trying to do away with the whole shall not be infringed, uh, you know, it's the Bill of Rights, not the Bill of Wants, um, the, those typical 2A arguments that, frankly, don't work, right? Because if they did work, we wouldn't see gun legislation, gun control legislation being passed. Um, so highly recommend folks give that podcast series a listen. Yeah, I just want a second, don't waste your breath on people who are committed to disagreeing with you, right? Like, in that case, yeah, just dunk on them, because like, fuck it, who the fuck cares? Um, but having that analysis and assessment of, can I move this person? Does this person actually want to be moved? Then you can go from there 
but ultimately like folks who are hell-bent on enacting quote-unquote sensible gun control um, generally don't know shit about guns um, and don't have the lived experience of having to think about maybe I need a gun for self-defense because that's not a fun thought to have. And I think part of like the misconceptions of guns is that everybody is just like a fucking egotistical asshole who's just like a gun-slinging, gun-toting, like unhinged, belligerent person. And sometimes that is true. But more than that, it's actually not, right? Like it's a lot of sensible people do have guns and a lot of people with guns don't commit murder. Um, And I think, uh, you know, people who want to commit crimes or mass murder uh, have ill regard for the law, turns out. Um, They don't care that there's a mad capacity limit law in the state they're going to go commit the crime in, right? Like... I don't know. It's just very frustrating, I think, because it's like, I'm really tired of having to, fe- to justify why I don't want to die and why I don't want my like community to die. Low-key, what Snow said is very true. Uh, let me preface this by saying that uh, even most of my friends who are libs, uh, all of them have guns. <laughs> um, but for the few who don't, um, I try to stress that to people, just be like, hey, you know, I actually talk about being Asian quite a bit. Uh, about it just be like yeah you know like there's reasons why you know me and people who look like me want to own guns and here's here's what they are and you know again don't waste time people on the internet you don't owe them anything but for people who are your friends and who care about you who maybe lives or whatever they will listen to you and have a conversation with you Um, and you may be able to change you may be able to change uh, some people's minds uh, it's, you know, there's absolutely people in my life who, you know, I will talk about, you know, gun ownership and gun ownership, like safely and talking about, you know, wanting to teach people who, you know, may feel unsafe how to shoot. And that being one of the things that I enjoy doing, who, even though they may be libs, they see it and they're like, oh, wow, that's actually pretty cool. Uh, I thought you were gonna become one of these people who... Uh, you know, puts, you know, dumbass don't tread on me stickers on the back of their fucking pickup. Um, so I'm not saying that, you know, it's someone, any one person's job to change what gun ownership is, but on a, or, or looks like, but on a personal level, it can absolutely work with people in your personal life. Yeah. I mean, let's consider what did, what happened in 2020 is that a shit ton of liberals by the droves went and bought out a fucking ton of guns like we're talking like millions i believe it was an estimated number in one year because of a global pandemic and because of an immense rise in asian hate crimes so really the argument is out the fucking window liberals themselves disproved their own arguments right why did you go and do that because you're afraid you want of your life right now are, are we saying that buying a gun by itself isn't guaranteed? Hell no. These people need to get some fucking training, right? You need to understand how to use your equipment or whatever, right? But, like, the argument is over as far as I'm concerned. It was answered that, you know, that year alone. It's still shocking that we still have to have this conversation over and over again because, again, as Snow uh, said earlier, it's the emotional manipulation. They conflate these uh, mass shootings as an apparent thing that it's because of gun ownership in and of itself, 
which is this really asinine childish argument we keep having over and over again. It's not helped by the fact that we have a two-party system and it's all controlled by a corporate media that only elevates these dumb two-sided uh, arguments by, you know, essentially two uh, white dominant rich elitists and it's really absolutely going nowhere on that um, I think a good one of the few times I saw a good take on this argument was like from that show Adam Adam ruins everything in which that guy goes into detail specifically about um, hey this this gun debate you're having right now you're you are actually completely ignoring the minority uh, you know, people of color, women's arguments, like people who are actually victims who actually need to have firearms. Like, they specifically went into that. Like, this, the whole skit was about one of their family friends, a black woman, saying that she feels completely ignored by these two people, a conservative pro-gun 2A guy and a liberal anti-gunner who are completely ignoring the real argument here or the real side of the story about people who are uh, marginalized people who are victims of gun control laws and victims of hate crimes, right? So uh, that's the sort of thing that's not being uh, explored right now. But yeah, I mean, I think we've been at this for, I mean, we, we, again, this is one of those conversations that can go on forever, like essentially. When I'm having conversations with my liberal friends, I try really hard to keep guns um like keep the gun line of argumentation out of it. Um, I try to be really cautious of not portraying myself as the archetype of what they fear, which is some right wing nationalist who loves guns just for the sake of having guns. You know, like 100%. try to steer the conversation away from that and emphasize that I don't love guns. I love protection and being alive and personal safety, and um, you know, kind of like steer the conversation more in that direction because if you if you lead with like hey i live in a country that has not served me or my people well or a lot of the groups that i care about um you're i think you're willing to build a lot more uh rapport with them uh, there's there's a lot that they can kind of get behind and support if you talk about your experiences feeling unsafe rather than leading with guns gonna say snow do you know what that jr tolkien quote is the one about like uh what is it i love the sword not for like the sharpness of its blade or something like that i don't know that quote but i okay. like what i've heard so far while you were out partying i studied the blade <laughs> <laughs> i do not love the bright sword for its sharpness nor the arrow for its swiftness nor the warrior for his glory I love only that which they defend. Mm, yeah, wow. Thank you. I think Faramir said that. Yeah. Uh, finally, a moment for Faramir to show his quality. Truly. But I mean, um, uh, two resources that I like to point things, uh, point people to, specifically for your more academic lib. Um, two fairly short reads. Negroes with Guns by Robert F. Williams. In uh, from 1962, uh, about communities of color, specifically black communities in the South, that defended their existence against Klan attacks by, guess how, using firearms, not with the vote. Another one completely related This Nonviolent Stuff Will Get You Killed by Charles Cobb. Another great read about the untold story about how. Um, organizers like the SNCC and Martin Luther King's movement um, in 
the Bible Belt of Alabama. Um, a lot of the organizers, the college kids that got sent down there, uh, were prevented from being literally murdered in the street by the Klan by black people who owned firearms. That's the part of the civil rights story. Well, that's one of the many parts that we like to gloss over during high school American history. Um, these are two massively important reads uh, for someone who does have an open mind. I guilt the shit out of my friends successfully about half the time. Like I tell them, hey, I started carrying a gun on me because after Christchurch mosque got shot up, like I didn't want to see myself in that situation. So I tell them like my own personal use case is being at the mosque and fearing for my life. And uh, very few have had the moxie to try to counter those points. They usually concede pretty quickly. Stuff that's coming up right now, like um, the Atlanta spa shooter, um, just the murders of Asian Americans. I'm sorry. like My life is valuable to me. And against lethal violence, a firearm is the best tool. Yep, 100%. You know, it, we've, we've talked at length about the idea of, you know, not understanding, obviously not being educated is a ginormous source of the problem here, too, about the firearms usage, firearm history, ownership history, the laws that uh, prohibit some people not only being, being able to own firearms, the role of our, our government, but also just the mindset of what violence entails. Very few people can talk about, you know, being a victim of violence, like life or death situations, um, and speaking from experience from that, you know, but you look at what it takes to take someone's life. It's not a something that people should weigh around with, you know, like without much thought, right? It's just something, it's a serious matter. If you have to do it, it's because your life or someone, someone else's life was at risk. And, you know, it's strange being told by, you know, me being literally told by liberals, uh, friends of mine, that they're okay with me uh, murdering someone with my bare hands if need be because of my very limited martial arts background. But God forbid I use a tool like a firearm that just gets the job done easier and puts me at less at risk of doing so. So it's like this weird thing. Like when you don't experience what a force-on-force encounter really entails, you have a, a dumb kind of naive mindset about what it takes. And it's like a weird thing. When you don't understand something, you resort to, to what? You're the myth of it, right? What you see on TV, movies, what you hear from friends, they see that you do some Muay Thai. So I guess that's enough. I can just take on 10 dudes. Like It's like a fucking Bruce Lee movie. Like, oh, absolutely fucking not. You're out of your goddamn mind. Like, that is what the purpose of having tools do. Tools, weapons are the equalizer. Regardless, someone is bigger than I am or I'm surrounded, I'm outnumbered. It is the equalizer that can level the playing field. And even then, it's not a guarantee. So mindset and experience with violence also plays into this too because the vast majority of people arguing against these sort of things are people that don't do not understand or have never experienced true violence yeah kind of circling back to tv johnny's point and i think coughing was making this point too um like i uh, started taking feminizing hormones this past year and like that's probably well okay let me rephrase this um, the fact that I like concealed carry a firearm and know how to use it proficiently, like it was definitely a factor in that in terms of my ability to defend myself. Um, you know, as 
I'm sort of opening myself up to more risk. Um, but that's like, I don't know. I'm tired and I'm not sure that I made my point clearly, but that's where I'm at. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like being aware of your own risk factors and then bringing that up in just a very matter of fact way to folks who don't have that same lived experience is like the best that we can do. Um, and if they really care about our well-being, like, then that's that. But maybe if they don't give a shit, maybe they just don't care about you anyway. And that's a good, that's good clarity to have. Fuck you too. And on that friendly note, uh, we're going to go ahead and close out this episode. John Chinaman, what do we have to plug? Uh, what we have to plug is our usual social media handles. Uh, we are on Instagram uh, at at under yellow excuse me we are on instagram at at yellow underscore peril underscore tactical if you do not see us pop up immediately it's because we are shadow banned so keep typing in the words they will appear uh, we are also on twitter uh, at at ypt actual uh, you can find us there as well dms are always open and we love to hear uh, from you bye everyone bye everyone Later. Bye. Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die or to be maimed for life without the faintest idea of what's going on.